Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers nearly a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. If I asked you right now to list all of the subscriptions you pay for, would you be able to? I really thought my answer to that question would be a resounding yes. But with the help of Rocket Money, I was able to find some sneaky ones I must have forgotten to cancel before the free trial ran out. Between streaming platforms, apps, delivery services, and even parenting slash kid subscriptions, though they all seem like really small amounts, when pulled together, that's a pretty big chunk of your spending money out the door. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. That's rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Some stories are so strange, they seem more fiction than fact. On February 14, 1945, a man was killed in a truly strange case that remains a mystery. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Charles Walton was born on May 12, 1870, and spent most of his life as an agricultural worker living in Lower Quinton in Stratford. A widower, he shared a small cottage with his 33-year-old niece, Edith Isabel Walton, whom he adopted when she was just three years old after the death of her mother. Described as a bit of a loner, though Charles did not really socialize, he was still thought of favorably by his neighbors and well-liked in the community despite his alleged eccentricities. Things like the fact that, according to the sources, Birds were known to flock to him and eat straight out of his hands, and that he seemed to have the ability to tame even the wildest dog with just the sound of his voice. Some thought he was a little too well-versed in country lore, and whilst speaking amongst themselves, many who knew Charles wondered if he was associated with witchcraft and covens. Even so, the rumors did nothing to change people's positive opinions on the man, and as far as anyone knew, there really wasn't a single person who would consider Charles Walton an enemy. Which is what made the events of February 14, 1945, all the more shocking. Charles Walton, a man with rheumatic joints and who walked with a stick, 
often made his money by accepting farm work wherever he could find it. And for the last nine months of his life, he'd worked for a local farmer, Alfred Potter, whose farm was known as the Furs, which is exactly where he went on that Valentine's Day with a pitchfork in hand and a slash hook ready to work. Leaving his purse at home, according to Edith, Charles went... Charles was seen walking through the churchyard between 9 and 9.30 a.m. and making his way to the firs, where he would be slashing hedges on the slopes of Meon Hill. Edith, on this particular day, was working as a printer's assembler at the Royal Society of Arts, and when she returned home at 6 p.m., she fully expected Charles to be there waiting for her. Knowing how little he socialized, Edith immediately began to worry and went to see the neighbor, Harry Beasley, to ask for his help. The pair made their way to the firs and went to speak with Alfred Potter. According to the farmer, the last time he saw Charles was earlier in the day when he was slashing hedges in hill ground. Recruited on their mission, all three made their way to the last place that Charles was seen, and lying there amongst the hedgerow was his battered and bruised body. With the sounds of Edith screaming in the background, the men noticed that Charles, after having been beaten into submission with his own walking stick, was slashed in the throat with the slash hook, and the prongs of the pitchfork were pressed onto either side of his neck, pinning him to the ground. Whoever killed Charles Walton had done so with extreme anger and brutality. While Harry Beasley tried to calm Edith down, a man named Harry Peachy happened to be passing by and Alfred called out to him and told him to go find the police. He then stood guard to make sure that the scene was not compromised while Harry took a completely devastated Edith back down the hill. The first officer to arrive at the scene was PC Michael James Lamosny, arriving just after 7 p.m. and later that evening, members of the Stratford-upon-Avon CID arrived as well. Then came Professor James M. Webster of the West Midlands Forensic Laboratory at around 11.30 p.m., and the 74-year-old's body was officially moved from the scene by 1.30 a.m. According to the professor's postmortem, Charles's trachea had been cut, several ribs were broken, and the cut on his left hand and the bruising on his back and forearm indicated that the man attempted to fight off his attacker. With wounds caused by two different weapons— one used to stab, and one used to slash, they determined that Charles was also hit over the head and placed his time of death between 1 and 2 p.m. His shirt had been opened, his trousers unfastened at the top and the fly unbuttoned, and though there was no mention of it in the official report, sources later claimed that a cross was allegedly carved into Charles's chest at some point during the attack. As the investigation began, a Detective Inspector Toombs, before the body was moved from the scene, took a statement from Alfred Potter, who said that he had known Charles for about five years and employed the man to work on his farm whenever the weather permitted. He said that the field that the man was attacked in was the last one that needed hedging. And though he had been in the College of Arms with another farmer until noon the day of the murder, he said he had gone straight across the field and saw Charles working about 500 to 600 yards away and with only about 6 to 10 yards of hedging left to cut. When his body was found, there were only 4 yards left and just about 30 minutes of work left to do before Charles likely would have gone home for the day. 
Pretty early in the case, it was decided to bring in the Metropolitan Police, better known as Scotland Yard, in hopes that they could assist. And on February 15th, the Deputy Chief Constable of Warwickshire sent a message stating the facts and requested a translator because they believed the killer might have been an Italian prisoner. Also noting the missing metal watch, investigators sent word to all the pawnbrokers and jewelers to keep a lookout. On February 16th, Chief Inspector Robert Fabian, an extremely notable man, and his partner, Detective Sergeant Albert Webb, arrived to assist in the investigation. And later that same day, Detective Sergeant Saunders, who was fluent in Italian, arrived as well. Quickly, Detective Sergeant Saunders began interviewing the Italian World War II prisoners of war being held at Long Marston, men allowed to roam at will with no records of their movement kept, and learned that, on the day of the murder, some of the prisoners had gone into Stratford to see a play, while others visited a nearby cinema. However, when digging more deeply into their whereabouts, none of these men were considered a suspect, and the Italian prisoner theory was put to rest. In its stead, however, was an even more fantastical theory. According to the BBC's 1971 documentary, The Power of the Witch, when the murder of Charles Walton made its way into the media, it was the same moment that, quote, witchcraft made its way into the daily newspapers. In what would later be the famed inspector's final case before retiring, Robert Fabian watched as Lower Quinton gained a whole new level of media attention, and Charles's death was turned into a murder mystery usually heard only in fiction novels. With headlines talking about human sacrifice, the local Coventry Telegraph called the case a, quote, whodunit witchcraft murder, which, of course, made the already pretty complicated case that much more difficult to solve. Speaking with the local police, Inspector Fabian learned that, in 1875, in nearby Long Compton, a young man killed an elderly woman who he claimed had bewitched him. Though seemingly unrelated, he soon learned that this man killed his victim with a pitchfork in a similar manner to the murder of Charles Walton. The killer, John Haywood, had allegedly sworn that he would destroy all 16 of the Long Compton witches. Then Inspector Fabian heard about a plowboy from Alveston, also nearby, who in 1885, on nine successive evenings, encountered a black dog on Meon Hill. A known symbol of witchcraft, on the last night, the dog turned into a headless woman in a black dress. The following day, his sister tragically passed away. The story, while fantastical, was made even more chilling when he was told the young boy's name, Charles Walton. People started to wonder if this Charles Walton, the one killed in 1945, was the same one who encountered that dog years before. Now, while all of this could be nothing more than wild stories blown out of proportion by a community desperately seeking answers, many started to wonder if the well-liked farm worker had somehow gotten mixed up in witchcraft, especially considering that there were already those rumors about his strange behaviors swirling before his tragic and strange murder. Regardless of whether or not any of this had a single ounce of truth, the village believed it enough that when Inspector Fabian came to talk to them, they all stayed quiet and would clear out of the pub whenever he walked in. 
Left to figure out things on his own, Robert looked into the witchcraft theory and discovered that, according to the old Julian calendar used until the Middle Ages, February 14th was actually February 2nd. And according to local superstition, this was the best day for a blood sacrifice to ensure good harvests. Whether because of this discovery or just his hope to find a more realistic suspect, Inspector Fabian turned his attention to one of the men who were there when Charles's body was found and the last person to see the man alive, Alfred John Potter. Interviewed a second time, Alfred divulged new information that, in the eyes of investigators, gave him a motive to commit the murder. According to his claims, Alfred believed that Charles might have been swindling him. Leaving it up to the man's honesty when it came to how many hours he actually worked, Alfred now believed that there were many times where he paid Charles for hours that he didn't actually do anything. Reiterating those same movements that he told the original investigator, Alfred said that while he left the village pub at around noon, he saw Charles on the way back but did not greet him because he had a cow that required his attention. However, when told by one of the officers that they were hoping to find fingerprints on the hook, Alfred suddenly remembered that he touched the handle after being told by Harry Beasley to ensure that Charles Walton was really deceased. Not only was his wife seemingly irate over this change, saying the police would surely suspect her husband, but Alfred himself began pushing the idea of one of the Italian prisoners being responsible and claimed that the murder was, quote, the work of a fascist from the camp. He then began adding extremely detailed pieces to his alibi, almost as if he was trying to ensure that it was airtight. And eventually, some of those details started to contradict his earlier account. Now having exactly three different versions, though one account was backed by his wife and another worker, investigators soon learned that the cow he claimed he was tending to was found drowned in a ditch the day before the murder and was removed at 3.30 p.m., on February 14th, hours after Charles Walton had already been killed and when Alfred claimed he was off tending to the matter. Then there was Harry Beasley, who said that he never once told Alfred to touch Charles's body and never once saw him touch the murder weapon in his presence. Though the hook was later found to have no fingerprints on it, this lie just further served to make officers suspicious of the farmer who, by some accounts, was actually in debt and having a hard time paying his farmhands. Was this murder nothing more than a way to avoid paying, or out of anger when he found out that Charles might have been lying about how much he owed for his work? The last line of inquiry looked into by Inspector Fabian was the fact that, even though his wife left him a sum of money after her death in 1927, when police investigated his funds, they found that most of the considerable amount was missing, despite his incredibly frugal habits. In the end, none of it really added up, and reluctantly, Robert Fabian and his partner returned to London no closer to solving the case than when they arrived. Though he was allegedly convinced that Alfred Potter was to blame, and that he made the murder look like an act of witchcraft to confuse the investigators. There just wasn't enough evidence to prove it. With a cause of death determined as, quote, murder by person or persons unknown, Charles Walton was laid to rest and his headstone was removed. Fifteen years later, that missing watch finally turned up. 
Though the reports are unsubstantiated and the original source is lost to time, while demolition work was being done behind the old Walton Cottage, the workers allegedly saw a glint of something metal. Inside the old tin watch was a piece of dark-colored glass that was, according to the tales, identified as a witch or scrying glass. Whether or not this is true is unknown, and the case of Charles Walton remains a mystery to this day. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on February 15th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.